When the team that couldn't possibly win becomes the team that can't lose in 90 minutes, it's That's So MLS. Yeah. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello, hello. Nick, what a final. What a final. First they saved the crew, then the crew saved us. <laughs> Just... Did we all, did we get saved? Do, are we, are are we as fans and, and as an MLS community, like, like, uh, like somewhat happier, healthier, um, you know, less, uh, this feels like one of the most guilt-free outcomes possible from the playoffs yeah. as, as they have, Columbus as crew have... is clearly chaotic good. <laughs> and I'm always on the side of, let's just keep things interesting, shall we? Like, I mean... Yeah, it would have been great to just have Seattle win another final. Um, but I – did they save us? No. I just felt like it was such a silly season. We needed one more silly thing to happen. Seattle winning would have just been too easy. It's what everybody thought was going to happen. <laughs> it's what I predicted. Notably, it's not what you predicted. Uh I, even the day of, I mean, like, you tweeted me, and I, I was just thinking, like, that now is now is the time to get out of this, uh, okay, to get out of this prediction, and that's important because if if folks aren't caught up, the announcement that Pedro Santos and Darlington Nagby were out because of COVID came almost as soon as we finished recording our predictions, so we kind of left it for a little bit, and then game day, I was like, okay, do you want to? <laughs> Do you want to amend How your? Do you feel? It seems only fair that you would be able to amend your prediction because obviously you made it under the assumption that Columbus Crew would have all of their players, and you just decided to stick with it. Loyalty yeah, I... over all else, and boy, did it pay <laughs> off! It was the th- you know in in both of my scenarios were were added time scenarios, and, and I think that that was a lot of. You know, if you look around, people were saying like, oh, maybe they'll find a way, Seattle will find a way to banana peel it or some, you know, we've seen such weird things happen in the playoffs already when it comes to, you know, totally penalty shootouts with red cards in the middle of them or what have you. It's like there's, the thought was there's no, there's no way to rule it out, but this was not in any way um, a banana peel or a fluke. No. This was a comprehensive win by Columbus at home, three nothing. Um, I think that when I was was making those the the the, the plan to stick with it, um, to a certain extent, I was thinking about the home crowd, and I was also thinking about well, they still have Lucas Celarayan for sure, and and those two things. I think those two things really. Um, played a role i mean uh if you are if you go back and and look at some of the highlights it's just like people are saying you know there's this stadium is you know only a a a portion of it full but it sounds like it's packed to the rafters like the which has which has negative which i can't feel good about that no but it certainly and we talked a little bit about this last week but it certainly contributed to um, 
it certainly like contributed to the game itself. I felt the fact that it was played in Columbus in front of fans. Absolutely. But let's let's talk about the game because, as you said, this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't Seattle torpedoing themselves uh, a la the Whitecaps. This was a comprehensive victory by a, a team that just seemed to, first of all, really, really do their homework, but also be completely and utterly uh, committed to the cause and their style of play. Um, as And, you know, when we'll talk about all the ways that that actually sort of played out. But, you know, the game started and obviously all the talk leading up to it was with Pedro Santos out and more importantly, I think, with Darlington Nagby out. This was just a major, major, uh, you know, chop at the legs for Columbus crew to find this out a few days before the final. Um, mm-hmm. Caleb Porter has since said that, like, when he found out that Nagby wouldn't be able to play, he, he just started crying because partly just all of the work that had gone into that. Nagby, of course, came to Columbus to follow Caleb Porter and was looking to get his third championship. And it, it just felt like, you know, Columbus crew really probably had a good, a really good shot going into it. And then with those two announcements felt like, well, I mean, I guess anything can happen, but let's not kid ourselves here. And yet what we saw, I think for most of the 90 minutes was a Columbus crew that looked almost identical to if they had those two star players with them. Yeah. I think that the, there is one or two explanations for that. I really thought that the absence of Pedro Santos was going to be huge. And we heard in interviews that Santos, you know, was telling Caleb Porter after the game, you guys have to have you, we, the work to get back at the final has to start immediately. Cause I got to win one of these two. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I was worried about with him being absent is, is, the crew's ability to move the ball around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weirdness that was the first half was that Seattle had 66% of the possession in zero shots on target in the first half. So yeah. uh, they were still, and they still had like key players and, and players such as um, Zellerion who could both, who can both uh, as he did, uh, in this game, provide um, provide assists and provide goals. Um, but I almost wonder if if, if that sort of not def- are, that sort of they weren't parking the bus by any means. They also you know got they got two goals in the half. It's not like they weren't attacking. Um, but I wonder if the the strategy of sort of giving Seattle a lot of possession but preventing them from doing anything with it helped sort of negate the absence of mm. um, of sort of an engine room midfielder. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to some degree, yes. But I, re- I remember kind of at the beginning of the game, they're saying, you know, this young kid, Aiden Morris, who's slotting in for Nagby, is familiar with the position, and I think they even quoted the player as saying, "Like, I, I mean, you don't replace Darlington Nagby. I think I'm like a good player, and I bring different qualities, and I train a lot with him. And step for step, 
and in terms of the efficacy of that position, no, we didn't play exactly like Darlington Nagby, but I felt like that was also part of it, is you had a young player come in for his first MLS appearance um, in in the season and play what was a damn near perfect game. Uh, you know, he wasn't involved in every attacking phase, but neither, neither is Darlington Nagby, but he just, he mm-hmm. always seemed to be where he needed to be. He had great distribution and that really helped Columbus crew because it meant that they could keep their shape, stay compact and defend really well. But then you had multiple players who were able to get the, get uh, the open players out on the wing um, send in some great balls, some great crossfield balls, um, switching the run of play. Like they were, <laughs> it just, it sounds so weird to be like, they didn't have Pedro Santos or Darlington Negby and they looked as creative as they've looked at any point this season. <laughs> uh, and I, I, again, as you said, they, they really gave that possession to Seattle, I think to some degree, but yeah, they were able to neuter most of those chances. There's a few points where Jordan Morris got in behind um, the left or the the right back, and I just was like, "Well, here we go." But <laughs> but you had the center backs there to cover, and and then you all of a sudden it was eight crew players that are in the box and marking players and doing what they need to do defensively. And certainly we know that about Caleb Porter sides is he he's a very comprehensive coach. He's looking at all of those areas and has really sound defensive setup that allows mm-hmm. them to ride out that pressure. Um, I just don't think anybody expected it to work so well. <laughs> I think that one of the things, uh, and, and certainly if they had been, you know, watching back to um, the Minnesota game, mm-hmm. and also, other, like, like, we've seen this, this kind of approach work for underdog teams in um, in these playoffs, just the two the two quick goals in the first half. Yeah, um, the ability to sort of sting and then push and get that second goal. You have the first one coming from Lucas Elarayan on the twenty fifth minute. Um, this this one is this one that that kind of bounces in uh, underneath Fry's arm. Yeah. Kind of, he's taking the shot on the volley, which is very impressive. Um, yeah, because it's a ball from Morris to Awful, and then Awful crosses it back the other way to Zellerayan, who then hits it against the run of play. So it's sort of this ping pong ball that switches directions three or four times. Do you feel yes. like people were a little harsh on Fry on this goal and and just sort of overall this game? Um. I'm trying to think. I wouldn't necessarily call this one of his better games. Sure. Um, but I d- wouldn't, especially when it comes to this goal, I wouldn't say that that was, I wouldn't necessarily call it his fault, you know? No, um, no. Well, and that's kind of what I was wondering, because a lot of people seemed kind of upset about it. And I'm like, well, he's coming across to close down the space, and Zellerayana hits it one time, and goes back the opposite direction, which is really what you should do on those types of chances. And, I mean, it's pretty hard for a goalkeeper to switch direction, um, you know, when they're already sort of diving to the left to, to get and over. I, I mean, and it's, it's on it, the vault, and it's, it was a first-touch hit as well. 
Yeah, exactly. Like he, I mean, he's he's there. <laughs> he gets a piece of it, but that's it's one of those ones that it's so well placed. It kind of makes the goalkeeper look foolish. But I'm like, I don't know a ton of goalkeepers that are going to be able to react much quicker to that. Uh, it's the second one I would put to the defense a little bit where um, I have it here that they're sort of freezing, waiting for Harrison Offal to make his move. And uh, Zellerayon finds um, Etienne Jr. instead. Yeah. And th- and that's the the kind of opportunistic goal that you really need to be able to pounce on in these types of games. Um, and, and that was what was kind of if there was a surprise to Seattle, it was that I I feel like they just kind of had luck against them a bit. Not that that excuses the whole thing or, um, or is the reason for their defeat, but it just, it really felt like their chances just weren't quite there. It just wasn't going to land for them. Um, Yeah. And also I think that, that, that before they put, Oh man, I didn't have written down when their first shot on target of the match was, which is <laughs> wild to think about. Um, but there was also like a couple of crossbars and whatnot. Like there yeah. was they they had a couple of they did have a couple of opportunities before that that were um, sort of guilt edged, but just wouldn't record as shots on target. Yeah, and they had two shots on target overall, um, but. Coming into the the second half, Columbus, you know, this was a situation where you thought um, a big shift has to happen in order to make it, uh, in order to make things work. I think Seattle did come out at halftime with uh, two substitutions. They mm-hmm. they brought Svensson in for Jones. They brought um, Brad Smith in for Nuhu, but it didn't really seem to take um, continued shuffling to put Will Bruin on in the 60th minute which I don't know if maybe you might have wanted him in there a little bit earlier. They, uh, Alex Roldan came Alex Roldan came out at the same time for Kelvin Leardom. And I think that obviously if you are the Sounders and you're making two defensive substitutions before the 60th, by the 60th minute, you're in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. This is not how you. This is not how you would have, been t- uh, uh, you know, hoped to come out. Well, and Schmetzer's not big on on making a lot of changes, right? Like he likes his starting eleven. He likes keeping things the same. So, those are actually pretty early subs for him as well. But I, I agree. It really, I, I think showed that, um, Seattle was a little bit out of sorts. And I agree that they certainly came out with a bit more to it. And you know, there were stretches in the second half where you certainly looked like, certainly thought that Seattle might find a way back into it. Um, I think their closest chance was in the 80th minute. They get a free kick, and it's just it's curling into the top corner, and Room just gets a hand up and knocks it over. Oh man, that was so good. And you and and that was the point where I was like, okay, I felt like that that one had Lodero written all over it. That should have been the goal that spurred us to trying to push for an equalizer. And it is going to get real hard now. I agree with that, and and. And the the further it went, I mean, like even before the goal on the eighty first minute, which is this sort of roofed shot from Zellerian that just says it's over. Yeah. Um, it was also it was like you say it was kind of hard to see the path back for them before that. Yeah, and and so 
let's we can talk all day about how good Columbus was because they're really I mean if you're doing a report card for the players on the pitch it's it's pretty easy to just be like well that A is for everyone you did great <laughs> but on the Seattle side you know we've talked about they didn't play poorly what do you feel outside of the obvious goals not going in what would you have done differently? Where where did you feel like they went wrong? Why why was this such an open and shut thing for Columbus? Um, like, <laughs> what happened? Um, I think I think they're so used. I don't know if 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 maybe it's like. What obviously happened is that they had a lot of the, they had a lot of the ball and they weren't able to get any they weren't able to get any purchase of, uh, on it in that first half, mm-hmm. um, and which meant that they were totally unable to sort of open up the structure of of, of Columbus. What that like they as good as they have been at the past, as dangerous as they have been, they need a little bit of movement to be able to do that. And, and, and they, especially in that first half, it really felt like they just weren't um, doing a great job of opening up lines, getting in between lines um, of getting into dangerous positions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is, you know, it's the same, you know, uh, key, attacking players as they as they always have who are all who are all good but it's just like i guess the if the game plan was we had the scare against minnesota last week but that showed how complete we are as a team no matter what happens we're gonna band together and we can figure it out you guys mm-hmm. um if if that was sort of the mentality coming out of that match and what they found was if they were planning in a reactive way instead of like here's how we're going to here's how we're going to come into this game away and take it by the scruff of the neck right away mm-hmm. i think that i think that that Certainly, when you talk to Columbus fans, it feels that a certain amount of that determination is what made the difference for them. That sure. They feel almost in a sense that Seattle overlooked them. Yep. yep. And that that it's like, well, this is this is this is not this is something. This is a this is an area where we feel really confident. We're feeling very confident about this game, and if something goes wrong, we'll figure it out. As opposed to. What they did, which is, you know, to have this high intensity from the beginning that, that, um, and a ability to create opportunities and capitalize on them. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like, you know, definitely the moral of the story is Columbus played great and just like, I mean, talent was there, the system was there, but also just, like, the heart to win this thing. Um, it really yeah. looked like from kickoff they were up for it, and it seems it seemed as if Caleb Border was just like, no, we can absolutely still win it, and I'm expecting you to. Let's go out 
and hit them fast. And that certainly seemed to be the approach, but for the first, like, ten or so minutes, it it still looked like you're like, all right, they've they've got a good chunk of the ball and they're getting into some good places, but then Seattle's winning it back and taking it back their way so this will how this will be how it will unfold um and then it just is columbus like clawing their way back in and then hanging on to it and not hanging Mm -hmm. on in any sort of desperate way but really taking control of the game and i think that's something where one of the few areas where seattle has struggled is that they they can get so focused on what their approach is and getting the ball to key players is that it there it opens up space. I mean, the the best attacking teams have this problem as well. Is you're sending mm-hmm. so many people forward, and then it means that you really only have one person to mark a player like Zellerayan, and that may not be enough. But I can't look at the Seattle defensive performance and say, you know, this is what cost them the game, or things could have been a lot better. It's it it really is just a case of like. Players like Zellerayan are going to get into the space. They're going to hit the right ball. They're going to do the right thing in the right moment. Um, and I, I think one fair statement could be that towards the 60th minute, there's a lot of heavy legs on the Seattle side, and yeah. their star players all looked gassed. I mean, Jordan Morris looked like he had the bit between his teeth for maybe... 30 or 40 minutes in this match and then and started to sort of drop off from there. It wasn't a terrible performance, but the runs weren't as strong or as frequent um, because Columbus had those channels locked down pretty well. You know, Lodero just seemed to... He couldn't buy a goal on the night. He wasn't mm-hmm. playing terribly. He was getting the ball lots. I, re- I had to look up if Rui Diaz even started because I, I really didn't hear his name a lot, but he, uh, he, 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 was, in, he was involved in some plays. Like, he, he was... he. But in terms of an impact, I think that's where you've seen that front three look so effective. Certainly, that would be the point that you would look at and say, well, that was not firing on all cylinders. But again, it wasn't a bad performance. It was just sort of that final pass was uh, a half second too late or too early. Or, you know, the shot was a foot wider than it needed it to be. And on another night, some of those goals, some of those chances would have been goals. But. On this night, they were not. So two years after the uh, the changing of the guard in Columbus, the, the Save the Group campaign, um, their fans, you know, they they started, the, the Haslam started pretty quick, right away with a, a, a plan to really change how things were done at the club and, and to change the, tra- not just to save the crew, but to change the tra- trajectory of the club and get, Caleb Porter and um, through that season and this season they've made some key acquisitions and this is I think like a pretty quick turnaround um, to <laughs> to realizing that dream for the fans and for um, the new ownership of the club yeah and I mean the the crew support supporters are great and I, I love that there's sort of like a of course we won. What are you talking about? And also like, uh, we are just as surprised as you. <laughs> but like, if you, if somebody came in this year watching MLS and had no idea about what had gone on, and you were like, hey, two years ago Columbus Crew almost folded, you would just be like, how did what what 
and and now this like it it's really a pretty incredible turnaround and that made it just like i think the that context the context the context of of which team was the underdog and and again it being in front of those columbus fans made it this was i feel like it a classic mls cup final not because it really changed hands really in any way but just because you can line everything up you want you can plan everything you want and then the whole 90 minutes just felt like this ongoing pulsating feeling of (laughs) what is happening yeah what is happening yeah like i had a minute where i was getting kind of upset and then i was like wait i'm totally fine if seattle loses it's just my soccer brain is like but this isn't supposed to be this way (laughs) but but <laughs> I mean, like that. It see is not this how with, it is written. <laughs> you see this with top teams, and you see this with Seattle, and you saw this with Seattle at the beginning of the regular season too. That it's like when it's on, they seem unbeatable, especially when they make those big pushes late on. Mm-hmm. And and you know, Zellerion is definitely uh, watching his tapes of the Minnesota game to be like, not <laughs> not bloody likely are we going to let them uh, do this. Yeah, by scoring that that final goal, um, but in times where it's not on, it's kind of hard to even see like where it was. Like not, it's maybe unkind to say to see where it was in the first place. But it's like, like it it seems like a binary state as opposed to you know this team did great, but they just didn't do quite good enough. It's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything was firing on all cylinders or not sometimes for sure for sure yeah and i mean that's the thing is it really does feel like this game was it just wasn't seattle's night you know again it was it was the little things adding up Mm -hmm. that kind of shot them in the foot but i i don't think there was any out and out bad performances i mean could zellerayan been have have been marked a little better sure do I know a defender in the league who's going to do that better than the Seattle backline? Not really. So it, it's still sort of like a, a cause and effect thing where Seattle's very, very, very good and they're champions for a reason and Columbus was better. And given this performance, I, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say they probably could have won this game multiple ways. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't dumb luck. This was a, a clear a clearly executed game plan that just went a little better than maybe they expected themselves. <laughs> but what a final, what, what a final, a, what a season, what a just absurd way to end things on. But I was glad that it was an absurd ending that wasn't mired in controversy <laughs> or, you know, a, 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 there's no ill blood about, you know, a missed PK shout or anything. It, it's a, this was a team coming out and winning uh, a final in a really stylish way. I loved the, you know, they had the, the big stage set up. I loved, uh, Jonathan Mensa having to walk what seemed up uh, an endless staircase. You know, he picks up, he picks up the trophy and then he has to go to the back of the platform and walk up the, the stairs. But everybody had a great time once he got there. My favorite uh, thing is when they're like just about to give him the trophy. It's like Don Garber's there with his hand extended and it's, clear i think he's going for a handshake mens is going for the trophy 
one of the Haslams is there, also going for the trophy. Mensa just picks up the trophy and walks away and walks over to his teammates. And I was like, I love the full setup for the, like, let's get a photo of the owner first and the commissioner. And I, and I, I don't think it was, like, a statement by Mensa. I think he's just caught up in the moment and probably somebody should have communicated a little better about what was about to happen. <laughs> I just love that, you know, these two just figureheads are standing there just kind of looking a little bit foolish and... <laughs> the players are just off to celebrate being like oh wait no i'm sorry we we won this uh you can take pictures the, of us the fans booed garber <laughs> practically out of the building which i loved partially because you know it's the nhl the nhl tradition is to boo vetman in every building yeah um i would it's not it's not the same in in this case in what I love about it is this, you know, this this very strong and very specific reminder that, you know, you everybody talks about Save the Crew. And Save the Crew was, was a big part of both what, you know, us as observers were looking at, would, would be saying is looking at it, but also like on the live broadcast, etc. It mm. was it was definitely used as, as part of the context. And... The Save the Crew fight was not just against Anthony Precourt. <laughs> no. He, the, he he is now remembered as the villain of that situation, but he was not the only villain of that situation. Don Garber felt at the time like he was not really going to put up much of a, a, of a fight or, or a opposition to this idea of moving it. It totally came from local areas from the state from the um from the city and whatnot well and i think it was really the you know the success of the save the crew movement that put the emphasis back on those original core mls teams because Mm -hmm. prior to that garber and mls couldn't have given two shits about those teams that's true it was all about atlanta it was all about the expansion teams and they had, and I think a lot of it was more just like a, a lack of any sort of public support. I don't know that it's, I mean, I don't have any evidence to back up a, there There was just not support being provided to these teams. But the optics didn't look great. That it anytime, had been a long time since the, the words key business indicators <laughs> exactly. flared forth. Exactly. And to kind of throw these teams under the bus and be like, well, you know, you're you're not attracting the same crowds or you're not doing this right or this right it you know garber did just kind of coldly turn his back on on this club and um anyway it it was a it was a great kind of moment and i i think uh you know this victory was sweet just pure sweet for a lot of reasons for crew fans and and it really felt like you know, watching people's responses online and and reactions, that there was it was a big emotional release as well. That like this club that's so important to so many people nearly wasn't, and just mm. saving the club was such an amazing achievement. But then two years later, to be taking home the the MLS Cup is is just so remarkable and so deserved for all that work that that was put in and to have a just pure moment of celebration um 
is something that I don't think you can really put a price on. And I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to find any fan that's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I would think the Sounders should have won. <laughs> you know, like we're yeah. all okay with the fact that Columbus Crew won. <laughs> Nobody yeah, in that moment the, hated the Crew. The feeling of <clears throat> of of pure the pure celebration that you mentioned, I I think, is definitely something that came across from the broadcast. And uh, and they have the trophy. They have a new stadium coming last next year. Um, and now we have the ability to. Finally, close the door on this. Lock it. This, this <laughs> terrible season that had featured two different finals. Um, 20% of co- players getting COVID. Including the champion team. Yeah. Like on it just... multiple occasions. It's a nightmare. It was a nightmare. You're absolutely right. It, it, and... You know, they're targeting March. Um, hopefully things are working well uh, vaccination-wise for that. Um, we had some movement in that direction. We had the, uh, and towards the new season, we had the expansion draft. That's um, right. We had uh, teams put out their lists. There wasn't a lot to sort of write home about from the, from the lists that were given. Um, you know, I hoped that Vancouver would perhaps... Somebody might want to take uh, Freddie Montero, but that didn't happen. That was like our one note from it. Of which, and I mean, the expansion draft is always a little bit of like a, um, I don't want to say like smoke and mirrors almost because you have yes. the list of unprotected players, but in many cases the salary is so high it's like well no one's going to pick up Freddie Montero, so you put him on the unprotected list because you have to have a certain number of players. But you do that knowing full well that the players are essentially protected because they're just too expensive. And if somebody does come along and say, yeah, we want to pay, you know, 900000 or whatever for Montero, then you're like, all right, sure, that you can have them. Um, so th- that's always the thing that I have to remind myself of when this happens is that it looks – you're like, why would that player be? Why would they leave that player unprotected? Because like, they have a pretty good idea that no one's going to take them. Now, this was the thing with Montreal because I looked at it and I'm like – what are you talking about? You have uh, Bojan is on this list. Yeah. Clement Diop is on this list. Aconqua is on this list. What is ha- what is happening here? And when you see the draft play out, it, it plays out the following way. Uh, Austin drafts forward Danny Houston from San Jose. That's a good Midfielder Jared Stroud from New York Red Bulls. Goalkeeper Brady Scott from Nashville. Midfielder Joe Corona from LA Galaxy. I guess, uh, or, which is one that I, a name I definitely saw on the list at one point. Um, and Canadian men's national team player Kamal Miller, a defender from Orlando. Uh, and I was just texting people. You know, I watched this broadcast and they had Claudio Reyna talking. You know, they were trying to point out why Reyna thought each move was an important pick to have like and maybe this won't be like every year where somebody just get gets picked and traded immediately for gam um and then kamal miller got immediately traded to montreal for gam (laughs) um yeah right after that which i mean that i think probably solves 
the mystery. You don't need to you don't need to worry about who's on your protected list if you're pretty sure you're going to execute a draft and trade. Exactly. Um what do you think of what do you think of those picks? You like Houston. I I think Houston's a good pickup. I think um I thought Kamal Miller was a good pickup. <laughs> uh, for Montreal. To, for Montreal. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine. Certainly. Yeah. Joe Corona is a name I hadn't heard in a while and was sort of like, didn't he retire? But, um, uh, you know, I see as kind of like a a depth signing. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a a starting defender, uh, in the majority of their games, but you never know. I I see it as a pretty, you know, modest start. I think inter Miami did a similar thing where they didn't necessarily go after, big star players, but they were looking for some experience to, to round out their roster. Um, and for me, I think it says a little bit about their ambitions in their first year is, is they're going to look to try to start building a bit of a core. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many more positions that need to be picked for them. It's hard to say too much about what this club wants to do. But I kind of, I, I don't know. I give their their picks kind of like a, a C plus or B minus. It's like, yeah, they're they're all right. Some some good players in there, and I'm assuming that for a player like Joe Corona, they're not paying a ton of money anyway. So you might as well get the experience. Certainly, the uh, um, the one of the the key parts of their midfield is probably going to be a, a signing they made outside of the expansion draft um, when they signed. Finish midfielder Alex Ring from New York City FC. This was the the one sort of like genuine shock <laughs> kind of moment <laughs> where uh, I don't know if this is a new trend where expansion sides decide to throw a war chest at a rival club to, to prize away one of their best players. But yeah, City fans are pretty gutted that they're losing their longtime captain. Um, but I think it's a great signing. I mean, I. I felt like he had an, an okay-ish year, but, I mean, New York City in general was sort of up and down, and they were there sometimes, and they weren't there other times, and it's probably time for Ring to take on a new project. Um, I don't know about joining another expansion club. I feel like he's got he's got his work cut out for him, but maybe that's the challenge he's looking for right now. But I was certainly like... Uh, surprised that they were able to even get that deal done. I, it didn't seem like something on the face of it that New York City would be terribly interested in doing. They felt, you know, it, it felt like they were trying to... Um, it, it felt like Ring was a key part of the team heading into the... the for, for big parts of the year. And obviously they would not have... They wouldn't have put him on that list if they uh if they didn't think that there was uh, if they didn't think they could build their team without him but mm-hmm. uh or or obviously they wouldn't have traded him if they didn't think that they they could make a um they could make a move um to replace him but you do you know you bring up uh the the thing that this reminded me of definitely was up from last year was the Walker Zimmerman thing where it's like I don't think it's a key enough piece for New York City that they're going to have quite the problem that uh, that LAFC experienced trying to replace them um, mm-hmm. in the position. But this could be a big thing for 
Austin and I do just kind of look at it like, <laughs> like, like what are what are they missing here? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It it really actually just makes me ask more questions about the future of New York City than it does. A, it's like okay, Austin's doing a, a sensical thing. New York City, on the other hand, um, you would think okay, they've got some targets picked out for that. But as a club that has a little bit of rebuilding to do, um. And I think a bit of a, a question mark about its identity. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised for them to get rid of somebody that's been such a key part of that. But I mean, the other big you, it's a lot we've of money. Talked, <laughs> we talked a little bit that we're, we're we're letting the 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 dust settle in terms of listing every single. You know, we're not necessarily going to list all the transfers, and we're going to see a little bit of, of who moves where. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised to see Papa Pico. Yeah. Um, move uh, across Texas from Dallas to Houston as much because, you know, Dallas had stopped working for him, you know, uh, in the playoffs. But I thought Pico is such a key part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think the only thing that I uh, I can kind of look to as, as like a, as a why is mm. that... I mean, Pico is very, very good, and I, I mean, his productivity I think kind of masks just how effective of a attacking player he is. Because yeah, he's not going to score boatloads of goals every year, but he, you know, he's going to get you, get you a few wins and and come up in key moments. But he just causes so many problems for defenders; it really opens up the rest of the team. However, I mean, name an academy in MLS that's as productive as FC Dallas is, and when you saw their picks for players and who is starting um in the postseason i i think it's pretty clear what dallas's intentions are and so i think pico was a great signing and maybe a little bit of a stopgap for them as somebody that they wanted to come in and <laughs> do what he's always done he had a, a difficult time with the fire as everybody who's put on that uniform has in recent years um and so it was a chance for him to to get some some good minutes and play his style of soccer again and I, yes, he was a key part of it. And also, I think Dallas's ability to bring up younger players means that they also now have some flexibility around looking at different types of attacking players that they want to slot in beside their younger players. The other one I wanted to mention um, is uh, Chicago sending Georgi Mihailovic for up to $1 million in game to Montreal. Um, which Chicago fans are morose about because of uh, of um, how much the the 22 year old who came through their academy is uh, liked in that city. Yeah, I I think I completely missed that one, but that's a great pickup for Montreal. On remaking moves, uh, the impact. Do we want to move to? Uh, uh, oh, we should mention also that the ring, the ring. This is the the convoluted record that the ring signing set is the highest one point up to one point two five million in GAM uh, over a certain amount of years, the highest allocation money transfer for a non US men's national team player. Right. That's yeah. the that's the kind of signing record that was set there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, the get impact, let's get CONCACAFT. Let's get CONCACAF. Let's we were in deep CONCACAF. And I feel that the journey to deep CONCACAF for the CONCACAF League was such a good 
Um, it, 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 it was a good amuse-bouche. It set the palette for me to to return with the, the CONCACAF Champions League, the, the strangest double-leg ties that you'll ever see in terms of the fact that they played the first half, the first legs of, of the four quarterfinals. Um, three of the four quarterfinal first legs were played before the pandemic was declared in March. Yeah. And which was six man, years ago. Yeah. So much happened between, uh, between the first leg was played in the nineties before these teams existed. Oh my God. And you know, for some of them start, some of them really did start these, uh, these legs at, at considerable de- uh, deficits. Um, but we had um, a number of, of of interesting games to uh, to complete those. We had Montreal having um, a pretty good showing against Olympia, uh, winning that winning their game one nothing. All of these are played in uh, at in Orlando um, at Orlando City's stadium. Um, a fine showing, but you know, not enough to, not enough to overcome the two-one deficit. And I think that that one was on away goals. And I think that, to a certain, it's a, it's a great statement from Montreal and from Atlanta, who beat Club America, mm-hmm. uh, one nothing, but then still lost three nothing on aggregate. It's a great statement from them, to, especially Atlanta, who's had a rough season to to come in and, and get. S- wins in low pressure situations, yeah. but at the same time, with when it comes to Olympia, obviously I don't think Atlanta were going to overturn three nothing. No, when it comes to Olympia, you kind of felt that much that you could have maybe pushed them a little harder. Mm-hmm. If you had another ge- gear in you, you might have been able to find a way past them. Um. If you had to find a way, found a way past them, you would have then just ran smack into Tigress, who beat New York City four nothing, and then beat Olympia three nothing in a in a semifinal that somewhat um, rev- revolved around uh, Davy Flores getting sent off in first half stoppage time. The former Vancouver Whitecap. <laughs> I missed that storyline. Oh, I was like <laughs> seeing familiar names crop up. <laughs> so that was kind of like he got um Olympia was trying to do their best to contain them and then uh uh Flores uh was fouled and was sent off just before the half and uh um Gignac, Gignac uh converted the penalty um which you know put them totally at the disadvantage in the second in, in the rest of it. It's jo- it Johnny not... Leveron pl- Johnny Leveron plays for Olympia too, doesn't he? That is correct. That is correct. He was he had an okay game. I would say that that in that first half, in the second half, Not in so the much. second half, all bets are off. But but the the first half, I didn't feel like he had too, uh, too bad of a game. The story, the story that that you know, as much as we've been talking, as much as those 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 two legged, uh, the two legged ties are strange. The the story that has been developing has been around LAFC, who. Did not have a two-legged tie, and so played their game against Cruz Azul um, in a knockout stage. Cruz Azul um, are were fresh from the Liga and Liga MX, 
uh, a committing a loss so bad that they are calling it doing a Cruz Azul in Mexico, where uh, it was like I'm trying to to pull up the exact. They, they had a a a knockout stage against. They had a knockout game in the Ligia playoffs against uh, Pumas in AM. And um, they led on aggregate for nothing. Or is this was it Pumas? They led. They led for nothing on aggregate after the first leg, and conceded four goals <laughs> in the second leg to lose on away goals. In in a match, this is this is leading into this match against LAFC. So Cruz Azul had. Uh, had committed this um, sort of historic fuck up. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's just it's good to be part of history one way or the other. It's just nice to be uh, mentioned, I suppose. But yeah, it was it's not good. And they that's how they came into their match with uh, with LA, which I didn't necessarily feel was. You know the 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 big thing, especially in the in the Concacaf Champions League era, is how challenging it is to beat um, a Mexican team. And, and before, for for an MLS team, before the pandemic, LA was able to beat Leon, who went on to win um, the Liguilla mm-hmm. tournament. So they were the Mexican champions. So they they beat the Mexican champions earlier. And in this game, sort of the two teams traded penalty kicks in the first half. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard to draw a conclusion from that. Uh, and then, finally, we got the... Uh, uh, we had the... Oh, I had it written down here. Um, we had the... the. It was like a... It's, I think it's a rookie for them. I think on the... I think a, on the a, debut? Opoku? Yes. He's... Wato Opoku. I, I think it might have been his CCL debut, but I feel like he has... He's had minutes with... Um... With LAFC. Right. So he, uh, in the 70th minute, scores the tying goal. Uh, great moment for him and great moment for LA as is sort of, I think you could, we talked a little bit about nobody being, nobody being upset that Columbus is winning, that Columbus won that game. And I agree with that. But if it had been Seattle and LA looked like, oh well, we lost all of our we 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 didn't have our players, we played Seattle, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost wonder if there's a spite based fuel to this. And in in LA began a campaign with, in which some some truly um outrageous things have occurred and, and the the thing that happened most recently, of course, was the uh uh the match against Club America. Can I just, before we, like, dive into that, just state for the record, I fucking hate CONCACAF so much. <laughs> it's so... And we're, we're getting... We get... Everybody got concacaf here, man. It just... Like... Because here's the thing. There's so many different takes. There's so many things that we could talk about with it. But they're all kind of moot. Because this league championship is just run so poorly, 
and and just defies all common sense that it's like, well, where do you even begin? We can't talk about anything because there's no VAR, which seems like a kind of glaring oversight. So that negates like half of the points we could make about this game because there's no way to go back and review and apparently you can't even go back and review because they're they've decided they're not CONCACAF will not allow LAFC to oh they've said no okay. yeah to so we've got to talk a little bit about what happened appeal the, 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 the... yeah like let's get into it I just wanted to get that off my chest for the record I this is why I don't watch it and I only ever go back <laughs> after the fact watch the highlights because I've I watch like the 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 lower level games and it, it's just such chaos and there's such there's no consistency. Okay, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop. <sighs> deep breaths, deep breaths. I'm saying so, so many real hot takes here that not anybody. No, I else don't think any of them are hot takes. Jesus. This is this is something that broadcasters always say when we get there when when you see it and and, and I think the fun the the the, the fun part. Um, the first thing I want to say in response to what you said is I've said it's something I think I've said before which is every time if you have any complaints about VAR and then you step into a continental competition where they don't have VAR it's just like that's outrageous that's outrageous that it happened we are in a different world we are in a different world now than we were then and I think it is a world for the better yeah, and it's a little bit like walking. It's like watching a game that took place like five years ago, where yes. it it's like, well, we could review this and very quickly and easily overturn a really clear and obvious error, but instead we're just gonna let it stand, which kind of deflates the entire game. However, so Sebastian let's... Sebastian Kasser is, uh scores. Early twelve minutes into this, yeah, good, for, great, great flicked header just rises above all the defenders. Good goal. And you think, okay, well, America have, America have got their uh, their goal here to to um, to start taking a, a command over this because any any game like there have been so many games that I've watched the Whitecaps have and other teams have against Mexican teams where you feel like you're doing great and then in the last twenty minutes they absolutely crush you. Well, here you get crushed early, so it's thinking, okay, well, America's LA is going to have some problems here. Mm-hmm. The true problems take place in first half stoppage time, where a bizarre series of events take place. I think that okay, so first Atuesta, Eduardo Atuesta gets fouled. I think yes, going into the area. I a think there's a credible has- penalty shout there. Maybe not a super strong one, but there's a credible call that he should have won a penalty. Essentially, the the, the defender has a leg out, and the and Atuesta run kind of like runs into it. But the defender doesn't get any. There is contact, and the defender doesn't contact the ball. Yeah. So do you look at it as a trip, or do you look at it as 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 how you, however you do it? Atuesta is lying on the ground as the play continues back up the pitch, and. Memo Ochoa, who you have reckon, you will recognize if you have watched Mexico at the World Cup, mm-hmm. um, the goalkeeper, um, comes over to. Um, it seems like he's coming over to do the the aggressive player uh, help um, help the player who's kind of taking his time up off the ground. 
first of all, definitely both players who are involved in the in the collision are holding their head for some reason. Yeah. Um, but what the assistant referee sees is Ochoa trying to help up Atuesta, and Atuesta's head coming up and Ochoa's head coming down, and then. Ochoa collapsing backwards onto the ground with his with his hands in his head. And it's clear from another angle that any any time that the two people's heads together was at least a full second before Ochoa began selling a headbutt. Yeah. To the chin. That he initiated. That he initiated. Um but there's no bar. And it's a and it's an AR. So Everybody starts scuffling around the situation. Atuesta, it's clear. We had this conversation after the Forge game about, you know, when is a team going to sort of, like, push... It's not... I'm not saying push through the gazership, but what... I have no problem with what Atuesta does here, which is Atuesta does opportunistically oversell what happened to him like yeah like like Ochoa is acting like he has been shot so Atuesta looks at it and says well fuck I've got to if I yeah if I don't do it what's gonna happen what's gonna happen to me what's gonna happen to the club I I think if I don't do this I might get sent off (laughs) yeah and he's the guy that gets sent off and he was the guy that was fucking foul in the first place yeah it's um outrageous <laughs> it was such a weird thing that had that to, to to see everybody hustle and bustle around and and then the players are moving from place to place as things are you know people are still yelling at the referee as the half comes to a close and at the beginning of the second half america coach miguel Herrera comes to the technical area with a big bloodshot eye and is told you can't be here you have to go to the stance and it nobody knows at first exactly what happens but um i saw or i it was a blog that sort of uh spelled it out for me but i can't i don't have it off the top of my head um well, you do I that. Send... I would just say I really wish that when you're – if you're going to send a coach off, can you brandish the red card so people know what is going on? <laughs> like, Agreed. Like just saying the words is, like at some point, like it, it's still unclear to me when this decision was made. <laughs> it, like we saw it get enforced, but <laughs> – like So Alicia, Alicia Rodriguez of uh, SB Nation's Angels on Parade blog uh, lays it out in a blog post. That apparently, um, Herrera and Ante Razov, an assistant coach uh, who is himself an MLS legend, um, uh, and have a have a coming together where Herrera grabs the hair on the back of his head and pulls his hair, so Razov fucking punches him in the face, <laughs> so and they good. both get sent off. But of course, yeah, you don't fair. notice the assistant getting sent off. But you do notice this larger-than-life individual with a big, you know, mauve suit <laughs> getting getting sent to the stands. And of course, there's no fans, so he 
he sits five feet away from where he would have been standing. <laughs> yeah. Screams with a walkie-talkie. With a walkie-talkie, which the the soccer cooligans podcast absolutely tried to meme. Or you know, the memes began instantly. Yeah, like the, the cap <laughs> the caption this comments. Yeah, uh, and it's we're in we're 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 well into weird Concacaf territory. And the and second Dan, half has only just started. <laughs> only just seconds in. And then just after that, Carlos Vela scores twice in in what the in what the website I'm looking at is telling me is the same minute. <laughs> um, to make it two one LA. Just two pretty simple um balls over the top. I was watching a um a video with um ESPN FC, where it's just like very clearly the the whatever what happened at the end of this first half, like America just were not settled heading into it. Definitely, um, and more importantly, I I think Bob Bradley is the difference maker here. That he's the guy that kept his cool, which you know, and Bob Bradley is an emotional, angry dude for sure, but he he's also pretty calm under pressure. Um, and it's clear he he gave the team the talk that they needed to hear to to really focus on the best revenge here is to win this game, and you know aside from the antics that started the second half, I really do feel like there were so many distractions and LAFC did what the real achievement here is that they didn't let this get into their heads and they actually pulled off a performance and beat uh, a Mexican club instead of just completely collapsing and losing their heads and having more players sent off because we've seen this game gamesmanship before at almost every stage when this when MLS teams meet Mexican clubs at this stage this is the kind of stuff that happens and so a lot of people have been like well Atuesta should have known better and if you know the gamesmanship is going to happen then you need to work through it and I, I agree to a point but for me that's really that's the coach's focus to keep the players uh, focused on that goal. There's really nothing Atuesta could have done um, for getting fouled and then getting sent off. So I don't feel like LAFC really let this affect them at all. Um, on this, talk about not being settled. The second goal from Vela is just the most absurd, poor square ball back from a defender that Vela just pounces on. Like, it's so bad, it's like, did someone slip you some cash at the halftime to just... Like, just, I'll just, oh no, I've underhit it. But, like, I don't think that's actually the case. But it's just, it's a really poor square ball that Vela gets on top of and um, is able to convert. Um, And then, of course, in the dying minutes of stoppage time, Vela almost does his hat trick. And America's able to clear it off the line and it looks to be uh, done. And then Latif Blessing just, like, parachutes in out of nowhere (laughs) and finishes it off. And and it just it's such a a fantastic complete performance from LAFC to get something out of this game and do exactly the right thing again just focus play your game focus on winning the game don't get drawn into to silly fouls um, because that's all part of the game plan for a club like America. It's only you know um, it only got worse for America. You know they also saw in the second minute that they saw. Another red card to even up to one nothing before that, or to to ten and ten yeah. before that. We uh, we now also 
uh, know that uh, Miguel Herrera will uh, will has been fired from America. Yes. Um, and suspended for, for several games, which he will serve regardless of what team he eventually ends up at should they play in CCL. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, the person, by the way, that it was, was referring to this idea of him failing to do it was, was Alejandro Moreno of ESPN SC, who referred to it as the Cirque de Miguel. Now, I have a, a serious question for you. Um, yes. It's a goalkeeping question. So, I mean, Ochoa goes down so fast and easily on the Atuesta, let's just for the sake of argument, call it a foul. It's a little bit remarkable he doesn't actually get down to any of those low shots later in the game, considering his <laughs> ability to collapse so quickly. No? I had to. But I had to. That's good. That's good. Now you get you. Ochoa is the club captain. He's he's one of the top. You know, goalkeeper. He's he's been one of the top goalkeepers in, in world soccer. You, I think that that's you absolutely can pin so much in his in his feet for how this went. Um, the statement said, you know, both. I think a combination of results and also the 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 activities on the pitch. Yeah, uh, they were none too happy with, and now. Um, LA goes on to the final. Uh, as we talk on Monday, it'll be t- it'll be Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, and after we sort of talked before the playoffs that LAFC had a lot to like, could potentially find themselves being disappointed. And I think that they they had a lot to lose going into the playoffs. The MLS playoffs ended up disappointed, and, and they are on a precipice of potentially winning a trophy and, and beating a fourth Mexican team in the same campaign. But do you think they're going to do it? Well, I do have one uh, particular piece of information that I had heard. Um, uh, Gignac is not going to be, is is a doubt for the game. That's right. Um, as well as, oh, I had it written down, but um, uh, Tom Marshall, who's, uh, who also writes for ESPNFC says that Andre Pierre Gignac and Javier Aquino are also a doubt. So um, now tomorrow with work and recovery, they can get into form. That sounds like an injury mm. and not a COVID-based concern, but I could, but right. I, I I don't know if that's the case. Um, certainly, if they're missing, you know, if they're missing top players, um, I would say that. LAFC Unless they looks get Aiden Morris on loan. <laughs> Just a great point. LAFC, great point. It'd be worth they looking great. into, actually. <laughs> they, they look great, and they are also not going to be scared. You know, like, yeah. they're, they're, they're going to... Um, I think that they are going to be a team to beat heading into this. Of course, Tigres is great. They, yeah. they are... Um, they're a top, top club of... Mexican soccer, they're a top club in this competition. I mean, they're they're um, the better team for sure. There's no doubt about that. But I I do agree that um, LAFC really just seems to be very focused on this. That that they things did not end the way they wanted in MLS, and this is their opportunity to to kind of salvage something. And you know, and and in their win against America, which is a big test, they really showed that character. Um, so with the Avila firing on all cylinders, um, it, it could certainly happen. And this is no knock against Atuesta, but like, thank God it's Atuesta that was sent off and not Carlos Villa or 
another key <laughs> attacking piece for um, LAFC. And, and obviously, Atuesta is a really important piece for them. But in terms of players that you could be doing without, you'd rather not have Atuesta than not have your Shinyak. Now, you did you... Uh, I heard that they were trying to... So this is part of the the CONCACAF, the wonderful world of CONCACAF. They were trying to appeal Atuesta's red card, but they were being told that CONCACAF Champions League did not have an appeal mechanism. Yeah. Now, now, is that a a no, or is that a nobody's asked and we don't know what to do now? I believe it is a we don't have a system to follow. Like, we don't have an appeals process for the red card, I think. The the thing I know for sure is that CONCACAF said we're not going to overturn it. So I don't know if that's we're not going to overturn it because we don't know how and there's no precedent <laughs> or a we just don't think there's something in it, which would be completely absurd. But I think, I mean, it raises this tricky question that, and, and I, I don't know, but like, if you don't have VAR, what is your ability to go back and review? I mean, obviously, they have a tape of the game and they can go back back and look at any angle of anything they want to. But without a governing body that decides that kind of thing and looks at it, I I think it's just a kind of archaic, well, let the thing stand. And And this is where, again, it gets so frustrating because we're not talking about something where it's... 50-50 and you know LAFC fans are saying of, of course it's not a red and uh, America fans are saying of course it is this is as clear and obvious of a non-red guard as you will perhaps ever see and it, it just yeah it, it's logic defying that there's no there's no system to appeal it or that they're just simply unwilling to look at it um, I don't imagine that was Bob Bradley's like I I don't think he was probably putting a lot of faith in their ability to do that but you gotta try all channels right yeah okay so I see I have a statement in front of me that it says the regulations clearly state the referee decisions on the field are final Um, this is in line with FIFA regulations and the confederation cannot change the rules at this late stage of the competition right which but is I think that, which is fair in the sense that if that was the case before, then no, they shouldn't make an exception just for this case. But they should also join the 21st century of soccer and have an appeals process for completely ridiculous red cards like this. Lots of different leagues have, have it. In ones that didn't have VAR have it in terms of having a disciplinary committee, which CONCACAF has, because that's the that's the body that his that uh, gave yeah Herrera that suspended and, the assistant coach the, yeah so. The format mm-hmm. suspensions. They have it. And they, they, like, like this is all familiar to anybody who follows a U.S. men's national team or uh, the the Canadian men's national team through the, the process for of qualifying through the World Cup. Yeah. It's always weird and bad, but you'd think that they would be ready for something like this. Yeah. Especially if they want to call this competition the, the, the Champions League and try to improve the the branding of it well and that's um, that's really my main qualm with it is that i, I mean i can forgive ultimately just a, a lack of resources or whatever for for why there's not a process but the fact that they're really trying to push for this to be a bigger thing that that's why i'm so adamant to being like this is why i don't watch it and this is why it isn't a bigger thing because 
it's not really a fair competition when you look at uh, the other leagues and when you look at what the standard now is for refereeing games and for um, making sure the right decision is made. And of course, there's always mistakes, of course. But like, yeah, it's just as chaotic and as fun as it can be. It's really not fun to watch a competition where it feels like things are slanted against any club. And I'm not saying that they are necessarily, but like how long does it have to go on and how many times does it have to happen before you're like, come on, these referees don't know these clubs and don't know that they're, they're looking for any whiff of contact to go down to immediately brandish a red card. Like, how do you see con- how do you see contact if there was no contact? Like just <laughs> it's good. It's good times. I love Four soccer match. and I'm very excited for there to be more CONCACAF and I uh look forward to LAFC doing their very, very bestest against Tigris. If you if you were worried about Herrera's walkie talkie, I can tell you that in addition to the four match ban that both assistant both coaches got Herrera got an extra one match ban for for continuing to communicate with the team after being ejected from the game. Um, the also another part of this statement about VAR in in the Champions League. Stop me if you've heard this before in the 2020 postseason. Concacaf is planning to implement VAR in the 2021 Champions League, uh, but it is not in effect for the 2020 competition. So Perfect. this is Good. this is the second to last game where this will take effect. Very similar to those weird uh, goalkeeper rules in the Orlando game. Which I like um, I do agree. I don't think you should be changing things halfway through or like you do it at the beginning of a season. It's just it is frustrating when it's like why are we dragging our heels on this? Well, it's clearly affecting the competition now. Like is it that you know. I get it. We, we complain about them implementing halfway through, so I guess we have to be okay with it when they don't. It's just one of those weird... It's the weird... Like the MLS season. The 2020 CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, and you're like, well, it's, it's not... One of the weirder... It's kind of just always happening, isn't it? Like... So dang. until 2020 provides us one more match for our enjoyment um, and for potential consternation, uh, where can we find you online? Whoa, wait, wait, one, one, one wait, last thing. You have a thing? Sorry, 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 sorry. One last Let little piece Let me not be hasty. MLS news. We have, we, we oh, didn't... you're right. Oh, what am I thinking? No, no, no. It's, it's all right. It's all right. This is why it's the strength of the squad here, Baze. Um, <laughs> it's just rare my memory comes to the rescue. Kyle Beckerman, uh... everybody's favorite villain, longstanding MLS veteran. I, I former think Sideshow Bob himself. Former Sideshow Bob. I believe he's 49 or something. The guy has just kept going. He's announced his retirement um, at Real Salt Lake. It's a, I mean, it's it's very sad, but at the same time, I, I think he's 38 is the official age. Yes. Um, that's a, it's, it's a hell of a career, and it, it, especially for the longevity of it. I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of people would say like he had no business playing for as long as he did, and I mean this year maybe not the greatest, but um, you know his fitness, his ability to read the game, his influence at Real Salt Lake is just is really kind of second to none. So it's it's kind of the end of an era. It's a bit sad to see some of these players that have just been around for so so long 
um, leaving, and it certainly seems like RSL has had a, had a rash of them, either players retiring or players moving on, um, who've been at the club for a while. But um, it, it's obviously um, it's just such a great career to to look back on, and I don't I feel kind of bad for him because so much other stuff has happened this year, and there's been so many other storylines, <laughs> and obviously RSL didn't have a terribly successful campaign. Um, that I, it's too bad that Beckerman's not retiring in, in front of a, a full, safe Rio Tinto stadium. But uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a career. So best of luck to him. Um, I'm sure we will be seeing his name more in MLS over, over the coming years. But just wanted to, to mark that when we have a, a player that we've talked about a lot and has been just a, a constant figure in MLS since the good old days. That's right. Big character. Big character in the league since the good old days. He he Big started character, for the, bigger hair. To, for the Miami Fusion in 2000, uh, 2001. Uh, played a, a team that no longer exists. Uh, played for uh, the Rapids from 2002 to 2007. And uh, was with Real Salt Lake for 13 years. Damn. Um, which includes six appearances in the MLS All-Star. Uh, six MLS All-Star appearances. Um which I mentioned just to kind of show like he's just a, a mainstay in the league. Like he's just one of the, one of the faces you expect to see any one MLS cup with RSL in 2009, yeah. uh, which was memorialized by Nick Romando, who himself is retired. He said, my brother, congratulations on an unbelievable career. I will cherish all the memories on and off the field with you. A true warrior on the pitch and gentleman off. Welcome, welcome to retirement. My cap, this man should never have to buy a beer in our Utah again. And, and, and he never did. <laughs> and I remember, I remember this was the, the seeing, uh, seeing pals say this. And so I said it too, um, when David Beckham, when David Beckham came to the league, just saying, who needs David Beckham when you have Kyle Beckham? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, until next time, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And at that's so MLS.com, wherever else you find podcasts, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Twitter, www. Uh, at Team Bates, www. Team Bates.com. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Do those things. And until next time, if there's a goalkeeper coming near you, <laughs> <laughs> Just run away. Don't get Just sent run off. Run away. Don't get sent off. <laughs> Play dead. That was that was great. Don't uh don't if you get sent off, don't sit in the stands for half an hour. With a fucking radio. <laughs> Lordy. Uh that was great. That was great.